Welcome back. This is Santosh Kumar Shiva, your host. Welcome back to Run Yogi Diaries. Um, through all these episodes, I've had the opportunity to talk to different people um, who've had some tremendous success in fitness and um, they've gone through uh, a lot of ups and downs to get where they have and it's been a fascinating uh, journey and there's so much to take away. Today I have a very special guest and is someone from a different generation than I am. Um, would love to get her perspective on what is fitness uh, and obviously she's in the beginning of her journey uh, but it would be great to get to speak with her and understand what goes behind someone who is young today in today's world uh, what drives them what gets them to go out and do these extraordinary journeys so welcome to the show Samyu Hari hi Santosh uncle thank you so much for having me it's a pleasure to be here it is a pleasure indeed. Um, you know, you're, you're the youngest guest in my show so far. Oh, well, you know, I'm really glad to be here. I am so happy that I'm able to speak on this topic because it's not something I really get to expand on a lot of the time. And then I do think, you know, my experience is very different than most people. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to get to speak about this. Great. You know, so I want to tell the audience why I invited you. To the show sure, first sure. off you know so Samyu is a uh, is the daughter of a good friend of ours uh, and uh, I've been uh, reading about what she's been up to from her parents uh, who are good friends and obviously she's been up to some some very interesting um, you know pursuits in her life and she's good in study she's academically strong so that's fine I mean I'm not gonna go into that what got me interested is her journey in through, the, through dance, uh, which is a very physical and an art form. And she's also done her MS-150 bicycle ride, which is a ride that goes from uh, Houston to Austin. It's a 150 mile close to ride. And um, um, so that's what got me intrigued with this young lady. And um, I find that people, uh, the young adults today, uh, deal with different challenges than the ones that we dealt with when we were young adults. And it's, uh, and it's fascinating to see someone like you thrive. And uh, I'd like to talk about how you take up these pursuits and, uh, and get into it. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah? Absolutely. So with that, I'm going to let you introduce yourself and then we'll dig in. Okay, yeah, so um, um, I'm Samyukta Hari. I am currently a sophomore in college. Um, I attend the University of Southern California. Um, I've been home for the past few months in quarantine and uh, here in the woodlands. I've grown up here in the woodlands and um, all of my achievements and everything, um, my hobbies, they've all been centered around the community and um with you know the support of everyone i actually began dancing um when i was about three years old and uh, ever since then i have been able to grow and use that um, hobby towards other efforts um apart from dance i do biking i um, am very much into health and wellness i love yoga pilates um, and I overall just love keeping myself very busy. 
Um, and so I, I'll you know elaborate more on that later, but um, that became an ongoing trend throughout my childhood. And as I became a young adult, was um, constantly just keeping a goal in mind. And I very much um, pride myself on having very supportive parents who have always told me, don't let anything hold you back, just go get it. And um, something I've kind of applied wherever I've gone. But um, yep, I have one older brother who also, um, he was kind of my lead when it came to um, athleticism and, you know, really staying fit, staying healthy. And so, um, yeah, I've, I've kind of just used everything I've learned growing up here around the people I have, I've, you know, been raised around and um, use that to kind of, you know, maneuver my future path. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's a little bit about myself. Terrific. So let's go to, go to the beginning, right? Let's start where it started. It all began uh, in, your, in your dance journey, and then we'll get to your bicycling in a bit. Um, so, you know, most uh, South Asian parents put their children into dance and art form, and I'm sure, you know, you, you, were, you were put into it. Um, and you learned the, what, the classical Bharatanatyam yes. style of... Okay. Yes. So I began with Bharatanatyam and I think it's really funny because I didn't start with Bharatanatyam. I actually started with Western styles. Um, so when I was about three years old, I would always, I was just a very hyper child. I had a lot of energy, was always outdoors all, and I'm very extroverted as well. So all my energy comes from being around other people. So that's kind of how dance started. Um, we would have these Woodlands India associations where kids would come together and do a talent show and things like that. And that was really where I first started loving performing and being on the stage. And um, I had a very in instinct sense of rhythm, which um, mom kind of picked up on as I was young and said, okay, well, maybe we can try to hone this on later. Um, so I started doing ballet when I was about four years old. Um, and I think after I was set my foundations in ballet, I mean, not much, it was just about a few years um, I, mom was like, you know what, I think you should kind of transition into classical form. So I began Bharatanatyam lessons at the age of five. And we usually say kids need to be at least five years old because classical art forms take a lot of discipline and um, a lot of patience, which is really hard for young kids, myself included. Um, I began classical dance as it was like a social gathering for me, right? So with all the girls that I would dance with, it was like a play date every Wednesday. And um, my guru at the time was Priya Omesh and she, Priya auntie was like another mother to me. And so we would all gather in her garage and, you know, it was such a fun thing. And um, she unfortunately moved, but I was switched over to Ratna, Ratna auntie, Dr. Ratna Kumar, who's my current guru. And when I transitioned to Ratnanti was really when I started to set my foundations in classical dance. And, you know, as a child, it takes a lot of discipline and a lot of patience to learn this art form. Um, it's very, very demanding, both mentally and physically. And so as a child, I mean, quite honestly, I wasn't a huge fan. Um, I'd always tell mom, like, mom, this is really hard. I don't think I can do it. And she was like, nope, you know, stick with it. Hard work pays off. So I stuck with it. Um, I became very fond. I love my guru. My guru is like, again, another grandmother to me. And she really nurtured my skills. And I created such a strong community of girls within my dance classes. So that was really what kept pulling me back to class. Um, I continued. I started dancing. And 
um, you know, mom was like, I really think you could take this to another level. So she began taking me to India. Um, it was one summer in particular where we just stayed there for six weeks and I trained under like a, a very strict Indian teacher. And it, I think dance, it took a really long time for me to appreciate what it was doing for me because it definitely did connect me back to my roots but it's very hard to understand that as a child. So for me, it was like, oh my gosh, this is really demanding. And you know, growing up in the US, it was like, I was always torn between the two cultures. I didn't know how to properly integrate them, right? So um, it, it was something I, I started to understand how to meld when I got older, but I think it did so much good for me. And when I was about, when I was in sixth grade, I finished my r and room, which is, essentially like your first solo debut. It's about a three hour performance, a solo performance. There's a live orchestra, you invite all your friends and it's just, um, some people like to consider it a graduation, right? Um, when you've mastered or semi-mastered the art form. Um, but I remember when I finished my R&G I was about 12 years old and so many people came up to me after I finished the performance. They said, this is just the beginning. And I always think of dance as like a ladder, right? You have to work up. You learn your basics and slowly with more performance experience, you learn, you get better. It's just, you. there's always room to improve, correct? So they just said, this is just the beginning. And as a kid, I was like, what? Like, where? what else am I supposed to do with this, you know? And when I got to high school uh, and late middle school, so around eighth grade, um, mom took me back to India and said, you can do it. Perform in Chennai, perform for like the main crowd and just learn from the experience. And I think going back, I learned, you know, most of my peers here when they had finished their engagement, it was just kind of like a one and done, like, okay, I've learned what I need to learn. It's over. And I went there and I understood that, you know, doing your r and is just like putting your, you know, foot in the door. If you don't have it done, it's like, okay, you've done your engagement. What else have you done? Where have you performed? Who have you trained under? It's so much more than that, right? And I, I was like, okay, there's so much more for me to learn as well. Um, one thing that classical dance did, I still try to keep up with it today, but like I said, it's very physically demanding. So if you are out of training for even just a few months, you will feel it whenever you mm -hmm. go back in, right? And sure. um, with classical dance, I appreciate it so much now because it has made me so much more aware of my own body. Um, if I, I do dabble in Bollywood, I worked for a lot of entertainment companies in LA this past year when I was at school. And it's so funny because all of my directors wanted to, wanted to make sure before I was ever hired that I had some training in cl a classical form because when you have that, you're aware of your bodies, you're aware of how you carry yourself, your lines, everything just looks much cleaner. Mm -hmm. And um, I only realized that once I got there. So from classical dance, I've been able to learn, you know, ballet, I've been able to learn hip hop, Bollywood, I, you name it, right? And I am so grateful to have a solid foundation in this dance form because it has provided me with so much more. Um, yeah. That is kind of just like the basic structure of how it all began and how I've 
been able to grow from, you know, the initial stages, but it was never like an easy one way street, you know, it, yeah. there's always ups and downs, like you had said. So, yeah. Um, good, good point. I mean, that, that's, uh, that's well said that you've had ups and downs. So, so when you started the first uh, Arangetram, I'm, I'm sure that would have been, uh, especially performing in Chennai, where probably there were a lot of, there was a big crowd, there were, you know, people, you probably thought people are going to judge me. How did you handle that? What, what, did, what do you have? A, do you have a magic mantra do you have for yourself? Oh man, a magic mantra. Like how do you, what do you tell yourself when? <laughs> my, my mom has always been, actually both my parents, when I went to perform in India, my mom was with me and there were so many times I would come out of rehearsal and, you know, being in Chennai, it's really hot you know, X, Y, Z, so many things factor into um, your experience there, but it's just so different than dancing in the US. Uh, for one, the audience is so much more knowledgeable. Um, and so even here, you know, if you make a little mistake on stage, you're able to, you know, quickly like transition to something else and nobody knows, right? There, people are so informed about the art and the history behind every story. So even if you slip up a little bit, they're like, oh, I saw that, you know what I mean? So there was definitely a lot of pressure. And um, of course, just being in India because of the heat and the, and the weather, you do have to be extremely fit in order to have the stamina to perform for you know one or two hours alone. Um, that was probably the hardest thing for me because I performed in Chennai two hours or two years after um, my Arangetram. And so I had kind of lost the stamina that I had had when I was so young. Um, and I would always look at mom and be like, mom, I can't do this. This is so hard. I, I'm so sorry. I know we put so much effort to get here, but like, this is just, oh man, I can't do it. And she'd be like, Hey, this is not a, can I, can I not? This is a, you're going to do it. You have worked this far. You are here. Make the most of the experience. Do not cut out, cut out now. And hearing her say that over and over again, it was never, I never, ever thought of it as like an, oh my God like she's forcing me to do this kind of thing. It was like a, you know what? Yeah, you're right. I put so many, so many hours into this and training for what? If I'm just going to throw, throw it all away because I'm, you know, tired or my stamina is not as good anymore. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I think getting on stage, um, I used to tell my mom this, it's so much easier to do an Iron Gate drum than to even watch one. Because for me, I get that energy and I want to keep going when I'm on stage. And I see audiences enjoying it or when people say, oh my gosh, you're doing so great. Like, keep it up. That's the stuff that keeps me going. And, you know, um, so I, I don't know if I really had a mantra, but definitely the encouragement of my guru and both of my parents, like, was my driving force, I would say. Yeah, yeah. You know, what I hear is um, that, one, you were willing to take a chance. Uh, you knew you had put in the hard work. And you are willing to take a chance and say, hey, you know what, let me go, go do what I have to do. You know, I've got the backing of my parents and my teacher. Totally. I'm going to go uh, what I can do. And then when you went, went there, you suddenly got energized by, by people uh, actually cheering you on. And I mean, that's what I hear in what you're saying. No, absolutely. You know, mom always says like, what was it like being on that stage on your engagement? I'm like, I don't remember because you're so in the moment when you're on any stage. I came off 
And I remember the next day, my mom was like, were you tired? Like, what did it feel like? Was the audience, like, did you see anyone? I was like, I don't even remember because you're so in the moment when you're on stage, the second you get off, you're like, wow, that was so much fun. You know, I can't wait to do it again. You make an important point here, being in the moment, you know, and uh, as you get older and, uh, you know, uh, when you did that, you were much younger, but as we all get older, one of the things that we all struggle with is being in the moment. Totally. And, um, and a lot of, um, uh, a lot of my focus about uh, running and fitness is about all of us having the ability and the opportunity to be in the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when you run and when, you, uh, when you're in, in any form of intense physical activity, uh, which also involves some amount your, of your mind, you, are, you end up being in the moment. So well said there. I, I think that's, that's a great point you make. Absolutely. I think, I mean, I, it's never easy. Um, I, I think like talking about all of this, it, it may seem like, oh yeah, like she's got it in the bag. No, I don't. It's definitely something that you have to nurture over a long period of time. And there's been so many instances when I'm on stage and I will literally feel like I'm about to pass out or just like my legs are going to give out. And I always sit there when I'm like thinking about the pain in the moment, it shows on your face. Mm -hmm. You lose your smile diminishes, your eyes might get a little bit, you know, glossy. And I always just tell myself, if I'm not enjoying it, how is the audience going to enjoy it? If I'm not focusing on this moment, how is the audience going to focus on this moment? Mm -hmm. Do you understand? So um, that's kind of something that I, I guess that might be my mantra. I think it's, it's just remembering to be present enjoy the experience and if you're gonna do it do it right right well said well um, said i think that's your mantra I, I think i think now that i'm saying it out loud that might i think you might be right yeah <laughs> we just discovered that mantra you got to copyright it well there you go i gotta write it down now so yeah yeah well, that's a great message for for uh, uh for all for for all other people or especially young adults who are watching this that um you know, life throws challenges and curveballs at us all the time, especially if you're in high school, there's so much challenge around uh, getting, uh, you know, your, your homework assignments done. There's pressure of, oh my God, what am I going to do in life? What, right. you know, subjects to choose. But something like, a, you know, being, uh, you know, pursuing dance or, or any other kind of fitness gets you back in the moment, which allows you to be who you are and then you can figure out what to do. Oh, absolutely. I think... Um you know, my family, mom and dad, I as well, we've always, mom has made sure that, you know, both Adi and I have grown up with a lot of culture around us. And, uh, you know, growing up with that, I understood that it is a part of who I am. It will never be diminished. It will never be put to the side. I need to figure out how to balance both you know, as a, as a student, as a kid growing up here in America and having a very, you know, um, American schooling life and having very American social life, how do you let those two things intermingle? And it was so, I mean, it's not easy. You know, dances, especially classical arts with Bharatanatyam, I would sometimes get conscious of performing in front of kids in my school because I was like, well, what if they think it's weird? What if they think that I'm dressed weird? Or if they say something, it's going to hurt because I love what I do, but they might not appreciate it the same way I do. Right. And that was something I still struggle with to this day, not in an embarrassing way, but making sure that I can convey how much I appreciate the form so that they can do it as well. 
And I, that was one thing I learned. Obviously, it came with maturity and, and surrounding yourself with the right kinds of people. But I learned from a very young age that it's not right to kind of sweep it under the rug and like live a dual sided life. And I know that seems extreme. Um, but as a kid, I do think that dance definitely helped me get more comfortable in my skin and understand at least what I would like to pass down to my kids as well. The lessons and the lifestyle. And um, it really has given me so much, not just, you know, knowledge about, you know, Indian roots, but also I think the main thing is discipline. Like if you're going to do something, like I said earlier, do it right. If you're going to stick with something, put your full effort into it and run through. Like just, just keep going, do not give up, do not let others impact the way that you view what you're doing. I think being prideful and being purposeful is um, the most important thing with dance and with everything else that I've done. So um, I kind of applied the same thing to the MS-150 experience, right? And um, that started because my dad actually had done it when I was in middle school. So um, uh, we had driven right by him to Austin, saw him finish at the finish line. And he was, you know, my dad had um, some health issues when I was a young kid. And the fact that he was able to overcome everything, do this, you know, accomplish this huge feat, it was really, really inspiring to me. And I always thought to myself, like, I don't think I could ever ride a bike 150 miles. Like, that just seems like way too much. And I remember when I was in high school, he was like, wait, why don't you just do it with me? I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, I can't do this. And he goes, are you kidding? Like, if I can do it, you can do it. You know, all it takes is discipline, really. And I was like, okay, um, well, how do, how do we do this? And I still had all my dance stuff going on. And my dad was awesome because he really catered all my training around my dance schedule. So we would go to spin classes, which was like a really nice way for me to bond with him also. You know, we went to spin classes before I would go to school and we would do them after I would go, you know, after I'd come back home and on weekends, uh, we would leave the house at like 6.30 in the morning and go on like a, whatever, like a 35, 40 mile bike ride up to Lake Conroe, come back. And then um, I would get like an hour to eat, refresh, and then I would go, my mom would take me to dance class in Sugarland. So it was, um, it definitely kept me on the go. And there were times when I would sit there and be like, why am I doing this to myself? This is way too much, especially being in high school and everything. Um, but, you know, the MS-150 definitely taught me that like, you can't, if you look at something, so the, the goal, you know, riding 150 miles, that was like, oh my God, how am I going to do that? But there's so you break it down into smaller pieces, right? You start with training, you, you ride 15 miles and you ride 20, then 25 and you slowly work your way up. Um, it just made me realize that like every goal can be broken down into specific parts. And once you achieve each of those milestones, the main thing just seems like a piece of cake. And, um, he definitely was like, behind me and he was like, you can do it. I would always be like, dad, I'm tired. My arms are killing me. My, my, my legs hurt. I can't, he'd be like five more miles, literally five more miles. You've just done 30. You can do five more. I'd be like, okay, fine. Yeah, you're right. You know? So, um, he was like my, 
cheerleader, I want to say, when it came to MSM50. And I also saw, um, actually, I, I know that you asked, you know, I haven't seen a lot of teenagers do MSM50. I actually was inspired by another teenager in the Woodlands. Her name is Monacy Joshi. And she did it with all the dads. So she was the only kid that had done it at her time. And she was such, such an high achieving student. Um, and so she had a packed schedule nothing like mine, way, like way, way, way more busy. And she was able to do it. And I was like, whoa, like she is awesome. But again, just staying on top of your stuff, breaking it down into little bits and whatever you, you know, dedicate that one weekend to, you know, achieving that goal and it happens. And I also had an awesome group of kids who did it with me too. So, you know, Ashray Gurgunti, um, Vaishnav Kurvanka, his brother, um, tons, tons of kids here did it with me. And it was such uh, an amazing moment, you know, going through Austin. And I think one of my most vivid, vivid memories was biking up those last hills in Austin because those, oh, you know, like those are- Did you do the longer one or the, did, did you take the longer route? When uh, I don't quite remember. I probably didn't knowing myself, <laughs> um, but I remember coming past those, uh, the few hills at the very, very end and they were killing me. I was like, I'm about to get off my bike and start walking because this is too much. And uh, there was a guy who came and biked next to me. He was like, hey, how old are you? And I was like, um, whatever, 14, 15 at the time. And he put his hand on my back and he was like 65, 60, 65. He was like, he was like, come on, if I can do it, you can do it. And I was like, oh my God. Okay. (laughs) We all started pedaling together. And so, yeah, it was such a fun experience. And so you were 15 when you did the first one. The first one when I was 15. Yeah. Um, It was, it was so cool. It was so, so cool. Um, I, I loved that experience. And actually mom, one of her um, childhood friends has MS and she, I remember she called me after and I went to go visit her in, um, in Chicago. And she is definitely going through a lot of hardship right now with her health and her name's Sita Auntie. And she was like, thank you so much for doing this for us. And I think that like when you you know, you, you work hard, it pays off because you feel it at the end of the race. But when you talk to people that are actually benefiting from the money that you're raising and from what your effort has gone towards, I think that was, um, that really made a difference for me too. It made me want to do it again. Yeah. I was going to ask you what, what motivated you and you just answered that question. Yeah. Yeah. It was her. Um, and they have, I mean, you know, this, they have people standing on the sides, especially when you cross through the smaller towns, Mm -hmm. I'm on the way there who will sit there on their wheelchairs and be like, thank you for writing for me. And we'll hold up signs for you and blow bubbles. And it's, it's such a fun experience. I loved the MS-150, so. And then you did it another year, right? You followed it up. Yeah, yeah, so that was my first year. So my first year, actually, it was cut short because it got, the second mm-hmm. leg got rained out. Um, and then uh, the second year is when we went all the way to Austin. And that was the year that we had the worst headwinds. So, um, it was a challenge. It was, it felt nothing like what I had trained for. What year was this? This was, uh, was um, 2018. Was it 2018 or 17 or 18? I can't 18. remember quite off the top of my head. I probably should have reviewed that, but, um, I think it was 2008. Oh no, it wasn't. I think it was 2017. Yeah. I think um, that's the year I did. Uh, I did them as 152. It was, it was windy though. The windy it was year. tough. Yeah, it was yeah. no easy feat, but 
again, like I look back and I don't really remember any of the pain. I just remember, you know, the good parts. So um, I really enjoyed that experience. That was something that was, I, I was glad to be a part of. So. And are you planning to continue um, doing this on a regular basis? So um, I will say, I think like this, so MSN50 was such a cool thing, but I unfortunately didn't take part in it my senior year, which is something that I actually really do regret. Um, and I do go to school out of state, so it's just not an option at this point. But I think um, my senior year, I actually had taken a, a, a break from dancing, um, you know, towards the middle of the year, just to, you know, spend more time with my friends and family. And uh, I really let go of myself. And I, and I don't mean that in like a weird cynical way, but in terms of physical fitness, dance and biking and all of those extracurricular activities that I've constantly been working towards, they had just kept me so physically in shape and mentally in shape, right? And not having that physical outlet, it was also my stress reliever, right? And um, I started, you know, I started gaining a little bit of weight and I just felt lethargic a lot. And um, I, my summer before I left for college, I was like, wow, I really don't feel good about myself anymore. I have just really let go of it. Why did I do this? And when I got to college, um, you know, I was in California, so the whole social, I mean, there's definitely a lot of like health and wellness just interspersed with your social life. So, you know, going and doing yoga with people or going to the beach or surfing and things like that. Um, it's very much integrated. And um, also many millennials now are very conscious of being healthy and are very aware of their physical and mental wellness. And so when I got to college, I started taking spin classes again, and I loved them. I was dancing um, part-time for some companies, and I would just go to the gym a lot more than I ever did in high school. And um, again, it was just a way for me to like work off stress, and I would come out and I would feel really, really good. I'd feel more awake, and um, it, yeah, I, I definitely like depended on that in order to, you know, keep up with myself, not even just like body image or anything. It was just making sure I didn't lose myself and, you know, having that like go getter, you know, just constantly I'm not sure I'm like losing my words for this, but um, yeah, just, you know, really just yeah. not losing myself. Um, you, like you brought out an interesting point. You talked about body image and, and, and this is something that, I, uh, I hear a lot uh, more, uh, uh, even from my daughters. And, uh, you know, when, when I grew up, I think when I was, I guess, in, in your uh, age group of 17 to 20, I don't, I don't know whether I was not aware if somebody else was dealing with the body image issue mm -hmm. or not, but I, at least I can say for myself, I was not uh, too aware of it as much as I see it very prevalent among young people now. Uh, so what, what are your views? I mean, is, is how, how does your generation handle that? How is it handling that? That's a great question. Um, I think that for my generation, it will, I, it is very different than what our parents have grown up with. Right. And that's only because of social media, um, on social media, any kid, any age gets on there, you're seeing pictures and, um, people, people always portray the best sides of themselves. 
online, right? And even if people have to edit a little bit or, you know, you know, change things here and there in order just to post a good picture on whatever social network, it still does um, deter your image of what an expectation is, right? So in terms of body imaging, um, especially for kids who are starting to go into high school, I feel like that is when it affects them the most um, because you start to grow more aware of your social presence and the way that others view you, right? So you're learning about yourself, but you're also learning about who you want to be. And of course, people always want to portray the best sides of themselves. And I think when there's that much pressure out there to be so perfect all the time, if you don't have the ideal beauty standard, body, hair type, skin color, whatever it might be, it can be very difficult to cope with because some of those things are out of your control, right? And um, I, I wouldn't say that I had body imaging issues, but I realized I was very aware of it in that senior year of high school when I started, when I was a little bit less active. Um, all of my friends were athletes. They were all varsity um, track runners, varsity volleyball players. And um, I was a dancer and that kept me in good shape for all my life. But when I got to high school, uh, senior year, and I was like, oh, I don't look like I used to before. I don't feel like I used to before. I definitely did feel the pressure of like, okay, I got to get myself together. Let's do this. And maybe that was self-inflicting a bit, but definitely there is a presence of that around you. And there's nothing you can do to really, you know, avoid it. It will always be there. But I think that your personal thoughts and your personal beliefs um, of your, what, what makes you, doing what makes you feel good, eating what makes you feel good is so important. And it's really hard to grasp that concept at such a young, naive age, right? Yeah. So um, in terms of body imaging, I think we have come such a long way too from when I was in middle school, even till now, um, so many body, body positive, um, you know, movements and, and things are, are out there, which I think is amazing. And that's how it should be because everyone's body is different, you know, and I think People weigh, people, you know, put so much on that weighing scale. They, they really depend a lot of their self-worth and how they value themselves over what that number is. And I think people fail to understand that that number can look different for every human being. Mm -hmm. Your body type, your height, your, your genetics, those all play into, you know, what you look like. And um, as long as you are comfortable in your own skin, that's all that should matter. Um, right. And I think it's definitely much easier said than done. I, this is like, I'm spitting out so many cliches, but really I think once you've been there and you've had, if you've, you've dealt with those hardships and you've come out understanding like, Hey, you know what? I may not be, you know, a hundred pounds and, you know, five, eight, but I'm happy. And I, mm -hmm. I feel healthy. I look healthy. Um, and that's all that really matters to me. I think you're winning. Like that's really just all you need in the end. Um, but again, it, it's hard because there's different mm -hmm. standards out there. Oh, well said, well said. I, I do, I think uh, the key, to, key takeaway in whatever you're saying is 
our as we need to focus on effort right i think um, as long as you're focused on what you can control mm-hmm. uh, which is if you want to pursue uh, fitness going out doing those workouts or going out and go, going for your bicycle ride or going for your run is something you can control yeah. you can say i get i'll get up in the morning tomorrow and i'll go now that's something you can control um you can control uh what you eat uh you can control um your hobbies you can control what to do about your hobbies what kind of pursuits you can have if you mm-hmm. if you if you love dance you can go practice dance and you know the kind of things that you've demonstrated so i think those are things we can control and what we don't control is you know the body shape and all of that and there's there there, there isn't really any merit in in agreeing to somebody bullying you on that isn't it yeah no uh, so i think the the key message i would say for anyone listening to this would be hey if if you want to take control of what you can do and um uh, the rest of it is something that you know let it be exactly i think it's just about being comfortable in your own skin and not to compare yourself to anyone else because again everybody runs their own race and i was yeah. told this even throughout you know the college process you know people would be like you're going to see kids who are applying you know to crazy crazy good schools and maybe some you know other people who aren't and you run your own race and i think that applies to literally everything um mm-hmm. even i i mean like i will struggle to run 3 miles i'm not afraid to say it even 2 miles i will struggle um but you know even just getting out there maybe doing like a few sprints or even just doing like a jog for 20 minutes i come back and i feel like i've done something i'm sweating i feel good about myself and no i can't run a half marathon probably not even a 3 5k but i feel good right and i think it's so hard because i think a lot of kids especially now um i know kids that are younger than me who i've grown up around and they count calories and they do all these things which is like completely their choice that is that if that works for you that's fine um but again as a kid i think like as a young adult especially you can't deprive yourself of so much just because you want to maintain a certain standard at some point people used to say like what do you eat like tell me what do you eat what do you do like how do you how do you keep yourself in shape and i was like you know i eat what makes me feel good you once you start being active and you're out on the street you're outside you're you know getting yourself going you come back in and then you eat what like 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 a burger and you know massive thing of mac and cheese like that's not going that doesn't make me feel good may make someone else feel good but it doesn't it doesn't work for me so um i never say no i think that's the one thing i never ever say no but i keep in mind what makes me feel good right and i think that's just something everybody has to remember don't ever deprive yourself of something because you're scared of how it'll make you look just do what makes you feel good um so that's something that i've always stuck by and um i think it's just it's really easier said than done when it comes to especially millennials and gen z um dealing with those issues there's a lot that you can't control um but at the end of the day like you're on your own race like just do what makes you feel good and nothing else should really matter and over time like you come to understand that so well said well said uh terrific uh you know uh, some you i really enjoyed this conversation i learned a lot uh, i i learn every time i have a podcast i 
have these terrific people who come on this podcast. I'm very selfish. This podcast is for me, actually. No, I, I have actually <laughs> loved doing this. I haven't had to, you know, sit down and talk about even myself and my own experiences in such a long time. So I'm really glad that I was able to kind of voice this because also sometimes, you know, it helps me in the end to like, oh, right. Yeah, that that is what I've worked towards. Maybe, you know, kind of like you to keep going. So I really enjoyed this too, but thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure speaking with you. Okay. Any last uh, comments before we wrap up? No, I think, um, you know, you just, again, you run your own race, do what makes you feel good. If you're going to do anything, do it with your best effort and um, yeah, just have purpose in everything you do. And um, I'm sure, you know, any athlete, any, anyone who works towards a goal has to have those ingrained in them, but sometimes you just have to remind yourself to keep doing so. And so I'm, I'm actually really glad that I actually, I did this with you because now I can write those things down and keep saying them to myself. So anyways, um, that would, that would be all, but thank you so much, really. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And I, uh, I really hope that, um, uh, a lot of people of, uh, young adults are going to listen to this and. Uh, given their inputs and thoughts and think about what we talked about today. Of course, of course. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Samuel. Bye. Bye.